Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. So this morning, uh, we're going to continue the story of Leah, Rachel, and Jacob. And what we see in the story is what happens when envy actually consumes someone. We watched, played out in real time, what it looks like when jealousy totally overtakes someone's heart. And it's actually, it's a pretty wild story. Um, But there's a song by the singer Olivia Rodrigo that I think actually illustrates jealousy really well. So uh, here's the course, Maybe, maybe you know it. She says, comparison is killing me slowly. I think I think too much about kids who don't know me. I'm so sick of myself, I'd rather be anyone else, but jealousy, jealousy started following me. That's jealousy. It's constantly comparing yourself with other people. Jealousy is this. It's wanting the good that someone else has. That's what it means to be jealous. And the thing about envy is that we typically don't notice it. Envy is tolerated in our society. It's considered acceptable. And so none of us really think about the jealousy that we actually see in our own hearts. I would imagine no one showed up to an accountability group in the last few months and said, hey everyone, the thing I really struggled with this week was envy. Could you pray for me? If you did, congrats, you're being honest. But I don't think many of us are actually doing that. We don't, we don't see jealousy. It's the odor in the room that has been with us so long that we've stopped smelling it. It's so common that we've actually learned to ignore it, but that doesn't mean it's not a problem. But what we see in this story is just how dangerous, just how destructive jealousy is. Here's the thing. The Ten Commandments forbid jealousy. We're told you shall not covet. Christians have historically considered envy to be one of the seven deadly sins. It's that serious. I even, I found a study this week that says that envy is a powerful predictor of worse mental health and well-being in the future. Envy is dangerous. Rodrigo says that her envy is killing her. The Bible agrees. Proverbs 14.30, it says, envy makes the bones rot. Envy is an acid that will eat away at the core of your being if it goes unchecked. There are so many ways that we struggle with jealousy today. You just, you hop on Instagram and you are immediately hit with all the things that other people have that you wish you had. The fun vacation in the summer, the big house that you can't afford, the cool clothes, the job promotion, the approval from family, that close relationship, or maybe uh, that romantic relationship that you wish you had, the physical appearance that you've always wanted. We're struck with jealousy in so many different places. And the reality is people in ministry are not exempt from jealousy. The amount of times that I've heard a pastor say, if only I had a church that was their size, if only I got invited to speak at those conferences, if only I had a platform that was that big, then I would be content. The reality is we all struggle with envy and jealousy. And if it goes unchecked, it will destroy us. So what can we do? We need to know three things about jealousy. We need to know the source of envy. We need to know the effect 
from envy, and we need to know the cure to envy. So we'll look at them in that order. We'll go source, then we'll talk about effect, and finally, we'll talk about the cure. So the source of envy. What Rachel shows us is that envy actually comes from a heart that doesn't trust God. At your core, where envy comes from is not looking to God and relying on him. So if you look at Genesis 30, verses 1 through 2, it actually, it says, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who is withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So all of Rachel's life, she has had more than Leah. Last week we saw that Rachel has better looks. She is more beautiful by traditional standards. Rachel is the woman who walks in the room and everyone notices her. Leah is the woman that no one wants. Also, we know that Rachel has the love of her husband. The passage last week went so far as to say that Leah was hated by her husband. So Rachel, she has so much. Rachel, in a way, has it all except for one thing. Now for the first time in her life, Rachel is hit with something that Leah has that she doesn't. And it's this, it's kids. Leah has gotten pregnant and had four kids. Rachel has none. And Rachel cannot stand it. It's, it's, it's driving Rachel. It's making her, her so angry, her so jealous. She's consumed by envy. She's overcome with it. And so what does she do? She goes to Jacob and she demands, give me a child or my life is not worth it. Like she, she literally says, I must have a child or I will die. She, her envy is driving her. And so then Jacob responds and says something that is harsh, but also contains an element of truth. What Jacob says is basically, God is the one who's in control of what you get and what you don't get. And, and there's an element of truth in that that I do think actually takes us right to the heart of jealousy. And it's this, that jealousy comes from a heart that is not trusting God. At its core, what jealousy is saying is, God, you have given something to someone else that you should have given to me. God, you are withholding something from me that I ought to have. And so we long for what other people have. Envy implies God gave them something I want, therefore God is at fault. The Bible shows us that God knows what we need and when we need it. Envy says, I know what I need, and God doesn't. Growing up, people were always amazed that I have an identical twin. And being an identical twin is really cool, actually. My, twin's brother, my, my twin brother's name is Luke, and he's cool. Growing up as a twin was awesome. We would love, in, uh, in high school, actually, we, would, we had almost all the same classes, and so we would intentionally swap seats with each other just to like play pranks on our teachers. But there's also some downsides to being a twin. We were always being compared with one another. People would always ask us questions like, hey, who's the smart twin? Who's the cool twin? Who's the funny twin? Who's taller? That kind of stuff. So I was taught at a very young age to constantly compare myself to my brother, to be half of a whole, to always be compared. And people meant well, but it had an impact on me. If, if Luke was going to get a job, then I felt like I needed to go work. If Luke was going to be in the band, then I needed to go try out. And if Luke was going to work hard at school, then I needed to at least try to keep up. The reality is what, it, what I was seeing in my own heart was a deep jealousy 
If my brother had a good that I didn't, I felt like I needed to go get it. I was envious. So I had to go pursue that and keep up with them. What I was doing in reality was not trusting God. I wasn't relying on him to give me the good that I needed. And so I felt like I needed to go find it for myself. What about you? Where do you see envy in your own heart? Where do you see other people getting something good and you wish you had it? Or maybe for you, it's the opposite. You actually, you see someone that you're jealous of, they start to do poorly and actually brings you a twisted joy. Where do you actually see jealousy being played out in your life from a heart that's not trusting God to provide what you need? Maybe for you, you have a coworker that you're always competing with and you can't stand it when they get ahead of you. Maybe for you, it's a sibling who always got mom and dad's approval, or maybe they got married around the same time as you or before you. Maybe for you, it's a non-Christian. You see the lifestyle that they have and you wish you had it. You wanna go do the things that they do, have their life. And so you're, you're jealous of them, you want that. The, at, at its core, envy implies, God doesn't know what's best for me and it's dangerous. I think this passage actually gives us a really unique way to identify envy that I at least, I personally had not thought of this before reading this passage. What this story shows us is that if you want to find the envy in your heart, what you actually need to do is ask, what am I constantly getting in arguments about? Where do I constantly feel myself trying to fight with other people and argue with them? And personally, I I find this very counterintuitive. I don't typically associate jealousy with arguing with people, right? Like we don't, those don't typically go together. We don't often think arguments, I must be jealous. But I think there's actually, we, we see this played out in the story. Genesis 30, why is it that Rachel and Jacob get in a big argument? It's Rachel's jealousy. Leah has something Rachel wants and so she argues with Jacob. The book of James makes the same point. James 4.2, it says, you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Our arguments show oftentimes where we're longing for the good that other people have. It may be for you. Maybe you don't have these big external arguments. You know, maybe you're not a yeller. You don't, you're not very, very combative. I can guarantee you go to war with people in your heart. Don't you? It's the shower talk. It's the imaginary arguments. It's the, the, the inner fight that you feel. Maybe, maybe you see arguments in different places in your heart. Maybe it's uh, the person who has more kids than you, or maybe their kids are different than yours. Maybe it's the person who always gets the attention that you wish you had, the person who's funnier, the person who people notice. Maybe for you, you wish you had the, the personality that other people had. Maybe you wish that you were more outgoing or you wish that you were more mysterious or you're jealous of something that other people have. Maybe for you, it's a friend or it's a romantic partner. You know, you just, you Google jealousy and one of the biggest things that comes up is romantic jealousy. Why is that? Because it eats away at us. It sticks with us so deeply when people are out with others and, and, and you wish that they were with you. We see jealousy in so many places. We all struggle with it. And at its core, what envy shows is that we're not relying on God. We're not trusting him like we need to. Another way to say it is that envy actually ignores God's grace. We, when we struggle with envy, 
We're being upset that God has given someone something else that we feel like we deserve. In moments of envy, what we see is that we're, we're really looking at God and we're saying, God, I deserve this. God, I earned this. I worked so hard for this. They don't deserve this. They didn't earn it. They're not, they're not as good as me. Why, why are you giving that to them? See, an envious heart, it's actually ignoring the, the grace of God. What envy says is, God, you haven't given me what I deserve. What a graceful heart says is, God, you haven't given me the very thing that I do deserve, which is the punishment that my envy deserves. Instead, God, you have given me the good that I never could have earned, the good that we find through Jesus. That's what grace says. Grace longs for the good that we, could, that we know we can only find in Christ. It knows that we can't go find that good somewhere else, but it's only Jesus at the cross, his death and resurrection, that we can go to him and see now the good that we ultimately need is satisfied there. That's what grace shows us. We all have envy in our hearts. We see the source of envy is a heart that's not truly trusting God. But what this passage also shows us is the effect from envy. We see that envy, it actually, it wreaks havoc in our lives. What we, what we see is that envy, it's incredibly destructive. When we keep going in verses three through eight, we see that Rachel, she wants a kid so bad that she gives her servant to Jacob as a wife. Just, just stop and think how crazy this is. Can you imagine being so jealous of someone that you were like, hey, you, you look at your spouse and you're like, hey, spouse, could you go sleep with someone who's not me? Is this not, is this not wild? Like that, this is what Rachel's doing. She's like, hey, take my servant Bilhah so that now I can finally outdo Leah. I'll finally get the kids that Leah has that I don't. The reality is that you can't think clearly when you're jealous. Jealousy, it clouds our judgment. It causes us to do these, these wild things. We keep going in the story, verses 9 through 13. Leah does the same thing. Leah takes her servant Zilpah, gives Zilpah to Jacob as a fourth wife. I mean, this is wild. This is polygamy. This is, they have four, Jacob has four wives now. Like, this is out of control. Leah is copying the very sin that Rachel commits. Here's a takeaway. Jealousy will lead you to imitate the worst parts of other people because you feel like you have to keep up. You have to get what they have, and so you'll imitate them, no matter how sinful. We keep going in the story, verses 14 through 21. uh, Things start to get really interesting. Reuben, Leah's son, goes out to the field to gather some mandrakes. If you're like me, you probably hadn't heard of mandrakes before this story, and at least I had no idea what they were, so I had to look it up. They're a plant, and surprisingly, commentators tell us that mandrakes were actually the ancient equivalent of a fertility drug in the ancient Near East. So it was believed you, you have mandrakes and help you get pregnant and help you have kids. And that actually explains a lot of what's going on in this story. So what Rachel does, we know Rachel has it all. Rachel has the better looks. She has the love of her husband. Now she even, she has kids, but it's still not enough. When Rachel sees that Leah has a fertility drug. Rachel needs it. She must have it. 
And so Rachel goes to Leah and she's like, hey, what will it take for me to get that from you? To have, to have the mandrakes, to have the fertility drug. And so they, they strike a deal. They make a bargain. And Leah says, hey, I'll give you my fertility drug if I get Jacob tonight. The, the irony of the story is that Rachel does get the fertility drug, but then Leah is actually the one who gets pregnant. The point is jealousy will never actually give you what you want. You'll, you'll pursue it, but it can't fulfill. The thing that you're trying to get in jealousy, jealousy can't actually deliver on. What we see is that Rachel's plan actually backfires. The, the truth of James 3.16, I think it's put on full display here. What it says is, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Jealousy has terrible effects. It wreaks havoc in our lives. I think 1 Corinthians 13.4, it makes this point really well. It says, love does not envy. Love and envy are incompatible. You can either love people or you can be envious, but you can't do both. You have to pick one. If you're going to truly care for other people, you can't constantly be jealous for the stuff that they have. You can't do both. Envy is so destructive in our lives. Envy will make evil look good. Envy will lead us to imitate the worst aspects of other people. It will, and ultimately, envy will leave you unsatisfied. The effects of envy are devastating. There's a, there's a medieval Italian writer, Dante. He's very well known. And Dante, he has this long poem titled The Divine Comedy. And Dante, what he does is he actually imagines what will happen to envious people after, after death. And here's what Dante imagines. He imagines that the envious will have iron wire sealing their eyes shut. It's this disturbing image. It's, it's horrifying. It's, it's gross. But Dante's actually trying to make a point. What he's saying is if, if your entire life you've been looking on other people with envy, if all you can do is look at other people and want what they have, then one day you won't be able to look at all. What he's trying to say is that envy is so destructive. It wreaks havoc in our lives. It hurts us. It's dangerous. So what can we do? Hopefully I've convinced you. Envy is very present. My goal is not to just make us all feel bad. That is part of what the Bible does. But what can we do about it? What can we do to get past our envy? Here's a few practical things that we can do. First, remember that no one has a perfect life. The person you're looking at and being envious of, the reality is they're probably struggling with just as much as you are. They experience the ups and downs of life too. Their life is hard. It's not perfect. To say it another way, Instagram isn't real. We all take this curated version of ourselves and we put it online and it's super fake. Like posting the highlights of our lives online, that's not, that's not real life. That's not what's actually going on. No one's life is really like that. Everyone is struggling. So we can remember it. No one has a perfect life. Here's the second thing that we can do to address envy. We can thank God for their success. When you see someone that you're really, you're wrestling with envy, you want what they have, take a moment to pause. Pray and thank God. God, thank you for what you're doing in their life. Celebrate their wins with them. 
Praise God that he is doing something good in their lives. Or if someone you're jealous of is really struggling, take a moment to pause and pray. God, would you help them? Would you be with them? There's, there's a way that prayer works in our hearts, doesn't it? That it actually, it does something in us. It changes us to help us and grow us. So pray for them. There's a third thing that we can do to fight envy. I, uh, I, I heard Christian author and teacher Jackie Hill Perry say this, and I think it's so true. Her, her, one of her suggestions for fighting envy was just this. Think about heaven. Isn't that so profound? Think about heaven. All the things you want, all the things your heart is searching for in envy, God has promised he will meet all of your deepest needs, all of your deepest longings. He will satisfy one day in heaven perfectly where there won't be any need. All these longings, these, these, the unfulfilled things you find in your heart, God has promised one day I will give you myself in heaven. You will know perfect joy and satisfaction forever. So remember heaven. Think about it. Remember that the good you're, you're envious of, God's promised, hey, I'm going to give you the greatest thing of all, and it's me. And we'll have that perfectly for eternity. So the effects from envy are terrible, but we know there are practical ways that we can fight it. We know the source of envy is a heart that's not trusting God, but then the effect from envy is that it wreaks havoc in our lives. But, and we see there are practical ways to fight it, but we actually need something deeper. We need something to go all the way down into our heart. What we need is a cure. What we see is that the cure to envy is this, it's the gospel. We see it's the only thing that can take our envy and replace it with genuine love for other people is only Jesus. That's the only way that we can do it. Look with me at verses 22 through 24. We see that Rachel, she's been unable to have a biological son and she's been full of envy for her sister. Then verse 22, it says this. It says that God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. So there are a few important things that we have to notice here. First, we learn that Rachel has actually been weighed down with shame. The the word that the passage uses is reproach. To put that in more modern terms, Rachel, she feels ashamed. Rachel, she has felt like her worth has been tied to her ability to get pregnant. She feels like if she doesn't have a biological son, then she isn't worth anything. And so she's felt so ashamed. She's felt so weighed down. She has felt so hurt. She, she has been longing for this. And then here's what the passage shows us. It shows us that God remembers, God listens, God opens. We see that God deeply loves Rachel. And we see in, in life, we see this played out in so many ways. In Rachel's life, we see that God actually gives Rachel the biological son that she has always wanted. God finally, she fulfills this desire that Rachel's had. And then uh, Rachel basically, she gives this beautiful response. Rachel basically says, God has taken away my shame. Rachel is finally able to stop being jealous of Leah. She's able to look to God in praise and be thankful to him. Rachel is able to be content. There's this, this change in Rachel's heart that's happening. She's finally talking with and trusting God. Even the name that Rachel gives to Joseph is beautiful. In Hebrew, 
Joseph sounds a lot like the word for add. What Rachel's saying is, may God add to me another son, as in she's relying on God now. God, you can give me the things I want. I don't have to go pursue it myself. God, you can actually, you can give that to me. You can provide. What we see is that Rachel is trusting God to give her the things that jealousy never could. God has provided Rachel with the biological son that she's wanted. And in a way, I think if we zoom out, we see that God has actually used Rachel's envy in a profound way. We see that what God has actually done through Rachel's envy has grown the family. We see between Genesis, all the way from Genesis 29 to now Genesis 30, we see that God has actually blessed Leah, Rachel, and Jacob with 12 kids. It's actually kind of crazy to see that God has, he's taken envy, what was really bad, but he's actually used it for good. What we see what God's doing is God is keeping his promise. You remember in Genesis, God is promising his people, I'll give you offspring. I'll I'll provide you with kids. I'll grow my people. And now God's doing it. God has taken this crazy baby-making competition and used it to bless this family with a ton of kids. This is amazing. This isn't the last time that we see God take sinful envy and actually use it to accomplish something good in our lives. What What we see is eventually scripture tells us that through the descendants from, from Jacob and through Joseph, uh, or sorry, through Jacob's family, that there eventually would come a man who never struggled with envy. We see that Jesus is someone who always rejoiced with those who rejoice. He wept with those who wept. He never, he never wanted the good that other people had. He genuinely loved them. He never struggled with envy. He, he lived a life free from that. He lived a life full of love and free from envy, but the religious leaders were incredibly jealous of Jesus. Jesus had the attention of the crowds. The crowds loved him. Jesus spoke against the the evils of the religious leaders, and so they hated him. They were actually jealous of him. The book of Matthew in chapter 27, verse 18, tells us that before Jesus was crucified, Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Here's what we see. The perfect man was crucified by jealous people so that you and I could be set free from our envy. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That's, how, that's the cure that we need. Jealousy says, if things are good for other people, then things are bad for me. Jesus says, I suffered and died to take your bad and to give you my good. I will give you the good that you could never find through jealousy. That's what Jesus gives us. That's, that's the better cure. That's the thing that can actually heal us, that can transform our hearts. When you trust in Jesus, you find a forgiveness for all your envy. You find, uh, we, saw, we saw earlier, the envy, it wreaks havoc in our lives. It's very destructive, and it hurts us and others. But at the cross, what Jesus did is he gave us a forgiveness for our envy that we could never find anywhere else. Jesus said, I will take all the bad and I will give you my good. I will give you my perfect record. We see that Jesus, he doesn't just forgive us. He actually, he also frees us from our envy. We saw that envy comes from a heart that's not actually trusting God, but what Jesus did is he, he died in our place so that we can learn to depend on God. What Jesus does is he, he, his grace comes in and, and transforms us so that we see we don't we don't need envy. We don't need jealousy. We, we can trust that if God has saved us, he can genuinely satisfy us. We don't need envy to do that. 
God has, set, has met our deepest need at the cross, so our hearts don't have to run to envy to be content. There's, a, there's actually a scene in Little Women that I think illustrates envy really well. There's a, maybe you've seen Little Women, read the book, watched the movie, but there's a scene when Amy, the younger sister, she's very jealous that her older sisters get to go to the theater without her. And so she's furious. She's overcome with jealousy. Her heart's consumed by it. And so what she does is she takes Joe's manuscript, her life's work, her, her most valuable possession, and she takes it and she throws it into the fire. She completely destroys it. It is consumed in the flames. I think that is a perfect image of what jealousy does. Jealousy is a fire. It consumes things. It eats them up. It is a blaze. Jealousy is dangerous. It will, it will consume everything it touches. The Bible actually uses the same imagery. Oftentimes in the Bible, jealousy is talked about like fire. And jealousy is described as a burning flame, a consuming blaze. The Bible even goes so far as to say that God has a good kind of jealousy that is a consuming fire. I want to pause for a moment and talk about that. Because for this whole sermon, I've been saying jealousy is a bad thing. So how can God be jealous? How could God, the perfect God who never does anything wrong, how could God have a burning fire of jealousy? And what the Bible tells us is this, that God's jealousy is actually a loving jealousy. That what God knows is that when people know him, when people experience his presence, when people believe in him, that they actually find the greatest good that they could never find anywhere else. And so for God to be jealous for people to come to him, that's actually God wanting what's best for us. God's jealousy is actually, yes, for his glory and for our good. When God is jealous for us, God's asking, hey, come and find the greatest good you could ever find in me. You won't find it anywhere else. So the Bible, it, it paints God as a God who is, he's lovingly jealous for us. Song of Solomon 8.6 says it like this. It says, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. God's jealousy is a loving jealousy. It is a burning flame that wants our good, which we can only find through God, being honored through us. God is the loving husband who has a healthy jealousy for his bride. God wants his bride to love him, to depend on him, to know him. So he's jealous. He's jealous for our hearts, for our affection. What the Bible shows us is that, is that we can't do it. We remain stuck in our envy. We are jealous. We sin. And so we actually, we deserve the fire of God's jealousy. But what the gospel tells us is this, that Jesus took the fire of the divine jealousy so that you and I could be rescued from the flames. That is the gospel. Jesus took the, the punishment for our jealousy so we could be forgiven and loved. Jesus absorbed the fire so that we could be saved. Jesus died for our envy so we could be forgiven and set free. And now in Jesus, what we find is all the things that envy could never give us. We find the contentment, the satisfaction that we've always wanted. Don't you want to be free from your envy? Aren't you tired of it? Aren't you ready to be done with it? What we see is that the source of envy is the heart that doesn't trust God, and the effect of envy is that it wreaks havoc in our lives. 
but the cure to envy is the gospel. It's Jesus who died in our place so we could be rescued. Wouldn't you believe in that and trust in him? Let's pray.